Welcome to a special 15-year anniversary episode of Stories from the NNI. I'm Lisa Friedersdorf, Director of the National Nanotechnology Coordination Office. Today, it's my pleasure to welcome Paula Hammond, the David H. Koch Professor in Engineering and Head of the Department of Chemical Engineering at MIT. She is a member of MIT's Koch Institute for Integrative Cancer Research, the MIT Energy Initiative, and a founding member of the MIT Institute for Soldier Nanotechnology. Her research involves multifunctional materials with highly controlled architectures for a variety of applications. Paula, thank you so much for taking the time to join us today. Can you get us started by telling us a little bit about yourself and how you got involved in nanotechnology? Sure. I'm a chemical engineer, and I work in polymer science, which is really the science of large molecules. And when I was doing my graduate work, I actually studied how these large molecules can be designed to self-organize. And it turns out that they self-organize into structures that are nanometers in size. And it's possible to actually use that polymer backbone as a way to introduce or program a function into a nanomaterial. So back in my graduate days, I, I got introduced to the idea of working at this nanometer length scale. And as I began to work on my uh, academic career, I began to evolve projects that allowed us to use the assembly of polymers in different ways to generate nanomaterials that can essentially interact with each other to give us device function or some other interesting possibilities in terms of new material systems. Using that polymer science, you've developed applications in a wide variety of areas, including energy and medicine. How do you use these polymer systems in such different applications? At first, with energy, we began looking at ways in which we could use this sort of nanometer scale control to build up extremely thin films, which had some given function. And because we were using an approach, which is known as layer by layer, involves uh, essentially alternating positively and negatively charged materials in alternation to build up essentially this alternating tower, or you can imagine it as an alternating sandwich of material systems that interact with each other because they are so close that they're molecularly interacting. In that work, we began to look at ways in which we could drive our materials toward the conduction of ions, including the specific conduction of something like a lithium ion, which could be used as an ultra-thin separator in a lithium ion battery. As we began to look at those kinds of possibilities, we began collaborating with friends and family, people who are near us here at MIT as well as others, and looking at how we could combine those ultra-thin films with organometallic material systems that could be used as electrodes, anodes and cathodes. For example, in our work with Angie Belcher, we actually assembled virus bodies that she has developed that are highly elongated and look like nanowires. They actually assemble with the polymers in our film to create this highly condensed thin layer of nano-shaped wire material. And that can be used to template cobalt oxide, which is a primary material in battery cathodes. With that work with Yetmin Chang, we actually developed a thin thumb virus-based battery. We've also used the same kinds of approaches to address solar and a range of other kinds of alternative energy applications. 
On the other hand, we began to realize that because we had this nanometer scale control in building up our film, and that we could place anything into the film as long as we followed the rule of positive or negative charge, we began to think about how we could use this in the biomedical world. And in this case, it turns out that a large number of therapeutics, including proteins, nucleic acids like DNA, RNA, these are very interesting for drugs. And we found that we could actually incorporate them directly into our thin films under water conditions that keep them from denaturing, something that's a real concern when we think about the more traditional ways in which we might process a drug delivery system. So Paula, those are some great examples. And you're using various techniques to generate multifunctional materials with highly controlled architectures, such as the layer-by-layer technique that you described. For areas as broad as, as energy, as you discussed, and wound healing, arthritis treatment, treating glioblastoma, ovarian cancer, how does interdisciplinarity come into your work? It's actually been incredibly important. I mentioned a few collaborations just now with respect to electrochemical energy. The reason that we were able to design new material systems for a given application is because we were able to work with colleagues at these interfaces. And without an understanding within my own lab of not only chemical engineering and polymer science, but also biology and some idea of the clinical pathways that we're trying to address, we wouldn't be able to move forward. So interdisciplinarity has been incredibly important. Uh, we, We talk about this concept of convergence in which we bring the biomedical sciences together, in which we bring engineers into the scene so that we can actually use the kinds of tools that we have known and understood for years, but apply them to very real problems in medicine. And here, the interdisciplinarity is incredibly important. For example, when we design a nanoparticle, we're using the layers to incorporate siRNA that's going to silence a specific gene in a uh, cancer cell. The only way that we can do this effectively is to first understand that there is a specific target that's going to be of interest for a given cancer type. And this we get from working with and understanding the systems biology of cancer cells. And so we have a great collaborator who's a systems biologist. But in working with that systems biologist, my own students and postdocs become aware of and much more engaged in the biology of the problem. On the other hand, we also need to understand what the best mode of administration is for a given kind of drug and whether or not the timing of that administration is critical for patient care. And we've worked directly with uh, oncologists to address this. In the area of glioblastoma, for example, being able to understand the mode of administration, but also some of the limiting factors in treatment, allow us to think about how we might be able to design a nanoparticle that will very effectively target only the glioma cells, particularly in pediatric brain tumors, in which we have developing brain cells of children that we do not want to impact in such a treatment. So I wanted to get your thoughts on a different thread, and that's the area of communicating more broadly with the public. 
I saw a TED Talk that you gave some time ago, and you likened cancer to a supervillain. And then you discussed the development of techniques to combat cancer as developing a super weapon to combat the villain. What are your thoughts on the importance of communication and how we communicate science to the broader public? I actually think communication is core to our ability to advance the field because we really need to be able to articulate the importance of this kind of work so that it is embraced by our public and supported by our government and by other agencies. I think that it's also critically important to engage others in the sciences because the future of our work is going to be taken on by the next generation. And it's only by an ability to articulate the excitement and the possibilities that exist with science that we will be able to engage the next generation in this field. On top of that, I think it's just fun. I think it's just fun to be able to share with others how cool this work is, right? It's incredible that we can do the things that we're able to do with nanoscience. And I think that as the public becomes more aware, they get excited. And we, as a result, learn more about new kinds of problems that might be of interest using this kind of approach. Paula, you have experience in academia, industry, and even as an entrepreneur, as the founder of a biotech company. How do you use your experience to inspire students and postdocs? I think the ability to talk about all the different things you can do with your science is important to get students excited. And I talk to students who are very interested in being able to change the world, to have an impact on the world with the things that they do in the lab. And I think that's the core of just about everything that we do. The fact that we can develop a new material system is one thing, but we're also contributing to a much larger sort of pot of science. The more we gain from the science, the more we push the field forward. Students get really excited about the fact that they're developing something that might end up in a patient but they're also excited about the fact that what they're developing will also help advance knowledge in general and might create the shoulders on which someone else is going to stand in a few years. The entrepreneurial aspect is also exciting because once you have an idea and you believe in it, you really are putting yourself out there to sell that idea and to get others engaged. But in doing so, you're also able to build the confidence of those around you and really advance the work itself. I think you become highly invested in the best approach to getting the work out to patients or out to translation where it can actually do some good in the world. I think that nanoscience is an exciting field for young people to get involved in. And the reason for that is that regardless of what angle you're coming from, whether you're a physicist or a chemist, whether you get excited about mechanical things, or excited about electrical things, there is a role to play in this highly interdisciplinary field. And we need all hands on board. So it's exciting to think about this field and to think about seeing a diverse group of scientists get engaged in the field. Paula, I absolutely share your passion for getting students excited about science. And nanotechnology is a great way to do that. As you know, 
This episode is part of our year-long celebration of the 15-year anniversary of the signing of the 21st Century Nanotechnology Research and Development Act. From your perspective, what are some of the most important advances that have been made in nanotechnology over the past 15 years? There are so many, but I'll just name a couple. I think that we have really developed nanomaterials that are interesting for detection of disease and of other dangerous chemicals. In fact, a large number of the newest technologies that are coming out are based on a combination of clever molecular chemistry and their interaction with nanomaterials and polymeric materials that assemble. And in those cases, there's been developments that allow paper-based diagnostics and very rapid diagnostics for diseases such as malaria or conditions that are important to detect for medical care and can be used in nations of a range of different wealth levels. There's also been a huge amount of advancement in the use of nanomaterials in energy, solar, low batteries, battery electrodes and capacitors, making the approach toward energy storage much more meaningful and much more reasonable. Finally, I think that nanomedicine has really advanced. I I think we're still on a journey and a path, but there's already been an impact in the field of biomedical care and the use of nanomedicine. In fact, some of the well-known therapeutics now include doxyl, one of the earliest forms of nanomedicine, or a form of doxorubicin. And I think that the future holds many more such formulations. We've already seen evidence of this with the first siRNA therapeutic. So I'm incredibly excited about that. And that technology has been enabled by nanotechnology. I want to thank you for taking the time to talk with us today and and ask, do you have any closing thoughts that you would like to share with the listeners? I do think that one interesting area that we haven't paid as much attention to, but that we'll see in the next decade or so, is the application of nanomaterials towards plants and agriculture. Just as we've been able to look at how nanoparticles can be used to address the human body, I think that now developments toward the introduction of nanomaterials in plants to help in plant health and in plant monitoring and maintenance of crops, protection of crops, is going to become even more important. Another area that's exciting is just the maintenance of everyday health. So the idea of being able to monitor more effectively and maintain health in humans is probably going to be the next frontier. Rather than simply addressing disease, if we're able to monitor for conditions such as potential for um, cardiac arrest or potential for other forms of problems that happen, we can actually advance our, our work even further. Thank you for joining us today for this special 15-year anniversary edition of Stories from the NNI. For more stories, subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. If you would like to learn more about nanotechnology, please visit nano.gov or email us at info at nnco.nano.gov.